Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been covering the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and hosting this podcast for 90 episodes and counting. It is now January 15th, 2024. This is a significant date on the baseball calendar because it marks the beginning of this year's signing period for international amateur players. So in today's episode, I will be spending most of the time talking about the recent Orioles history, uh, with groups of players signed through this process. So first, let's start with a little bit of a note about an anniversary that's also happening today and a few small Orioles-connected items that have popped up through the rumor mill. For Orioles fans, the occasion of Martin Luther King Day also marks one year since John Angelos's infamous press conference in which he blustered at reporters who dared to ask him business questions at an event he invited them to on that particular day. Also infamous since Angelos, as a part of that blustering, made a commitment to share team financial information about the Orioles with those reporters, a promise that he repeated during spring training. Each one of these commitments turned out to be lies, of course, with all the least drama that played out throughout the year before finally getting resolved with a couple of weeks to spare uh, these commitments to share the financial information were not the final commitments that Angelos would make and break over the course of 2023. I hope we end up hearing from him much less as 2024 plays out. But you know, one of the weekend's rumors is right in the Angelos wheelhouse. I don't know. You might not have seen it. It floated up onto Twitter or the thing that used to be called Twitter as a sports columnist for the Washington Times, named Tom Lavero, apologies if I've pronounced it wrong, posted to Twitter uh, that there is an agreement in place for the Orioles to have a uniform patch sponsored by the investment company T. Rowe Price. Now, I don't go to that paper for Orioles news or really any news, but, you know, it is a plausible enough rumor in that the company is literally headquartered on Pratt Street in Baltimore, uh, Lavero said that a five-year sponsorship deal would net $75 million for the Orioles. That is a $15 million per year deal. It sounds like a lot to me, which makes me wonder how uh, plugged in the rumor is. I mean, it says the deal is done in agreement in place, which would theoretically mean we'll be hearing about it very soon. It just seems like $15 million a year is a lot. And I'm saying that because the Red Sox, who much as we would not care to admit it, probably have much more uh, valuable uniform space, given that more people are probably paying attention to the Red Sox generally. 
uh, and they are getting $17 million per year reportedly in a deal that was negotiated about a year and a half ago. So I don't know, maybe the price has gone up as uh, other teams start negotiating uniform patches. Maybe the Orioles are selling a bigger patch uh, in a better position. I don't know. Uh, But it is worth keeping an eye on, also in conjunction with last year's report that the Orioles are exploring selling the naming rights for Camden Yards because basically um, if Angelos is making any of these deals or all of them, he sure better start putting money back into the Major League payroll that is sufficient to keep the team competitive in the short and long term. Okay, enough about money, but also still in the rumor mill. Uh, with the Orioles still having not made a substantial starting pitching move, rumors continue to swirl on that front also. In the New York Post over the weekend, John Heyman wrote that the Orioles have been engaged with most free agents from the Marcus Stroman price tier on down. So to give you a sense of what that is, Stroman just this past week signed a two-year, $37 million deal with the Yankees. That includes uh, a vesting option that could turn into a player option for an additional $18 million for the 2026 season. Heyman, so that's, again, uh, that's the guys the Orioles are looking for. Presumably, I guess, less than $40 million total. Maybe multi-year, but only two years guaranteed. I don't know. But Heyman's report included that the Orioles are eyeing free agent starter James Paxton, who posted a 4.50 ERA over 19 starts with the Red Sox this past year. Notably, for the sake of this rumor, Paxton is a Scott Boris client, Heyman is generally regarded as a guy who has Boris as a friendly source of information, so I think that's pretty obviously an agent-driven rumor trying to drum up some interest for his client. That said, it is not an impossible rumor that uh, the Orioles may have some level of interest in Paxton, because if they do fail to acquire a front-of-the-rotation or a guy they can tell themselves is front-of-the-rotation starting pitcher in a trade, they might then end up looking for... Uh, a cheap free agent who's left out there um, to kind of reinforce the back end of the rotation instead. The frequently hurt Paxton made $4 million with the Red Sox last year, so he's probably not in line for much more than that. And so I think if the Orioles do end up turning to, let's just sign someone for kind of depth purposes or whatever, uh, Paxton, it's not, not implausible. It would be a disappointing signing for me, Paxton, Hasn't been healthy and good in combination since 2019. I think um, if the Orioles end up having to settle for Paxton late in the offseason, that probably shows they had a, uh, a strategic problem with figuring out when they wanted to pounce on getting a starting pitcher. But I don't know. We'll see what ends up happening. As far as the trades go, reporters such as uh, the Athletics' Ken Rosenthal continue to eye the Orioles since they are a prospect-laden team that seems to need a pitcher. But despite so many people, reporters, and fans both trying to wish a trade into being, there is no deal yet for Chicago's Dylan Cease or Miami's Jesus Luzardo or anyone. Maybe this week will be the week, but it hasn't happened yet. There's not that much time left before spring training begins. It really, it only takes one text message or call or whatever to make it all come together. But again, here we are, January 15th, less than a month until uh, pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting. And the Orioles rotation still is what we thought it was uh, when the season ended back in October. 
I will be right back after a message from the Fans First Sports Network sponsor, and then we can dive into the international amateur signing period and what it has meant for the Orioles over the last five years or so. All right, so unless you are a prospect sicko, you might not have a firm idea of what is going on today. So I'm going to start, hopefully give a bit of a sense of what is happening. The international amateur signing process is one that has evolved over time. The basic gist of it today being that teams have a bonus pool available to them that they can choose. uh, That is, they have to bring their own money and spend up to the amount they have allowed to spend in the pool. And they can choose to spend that money to sign players who are at least 16 years old from mostly Latin American countries. The largest uh, or the most uh, signers are going to be from the Dominican Republic, a decent amount also coming from Venezuela, smaller numbers from like the Bahamas, Colombia, and other places in that part of the world. Cubans who are young enough when they defect away from Cuba can also be signed in this process. Additionally, in the right circumstances, you could find teams signing players from other places much farther away, like Australia and South Korea, but mostly it's going to be 16-year-olds from the Dominican and Venezuela. Um, And the league is trying to nudge this process into being a draft rather than a pool-based signing, but they have yet to get the players' union to bite on that in collective bargaining agreement negotiations. So if it's important enough to them, they'll eventually offer something that's important enough to the players that uh, will then transform all of this into a draft. But for now, the signing pool process is what there is. And by the way, the Orioles tomorrow will be opening officially their new uh, academy in the Dominican Republic for players who they are signing as these uh, international players from Spanish-speaking countries. So all of the guys that they end up signing this year, and probably some that they've signed over the couple of years before this, will start working out in their new uh, state-of-the-art, we can certainly hope, facility. And hopefully that helps them develop more players uh, to arrive in U.S. minor leagues and then keep floating their way up towards Baltimore from there. But then, okay, the international amateur signing. Under Dan Duquette and those before him, the Orioles were doing very, very little in this area. There were periodic success stories. Uh, They did sign Jonathan Scope out of Curacao and also Eduardo Rodriguez uh, under the international amateur signing process. But those were scattered signings. They were not spending all the money available to them every year. There is kind of a scummy aspect to the whole prospect uh, process, which was offered as a secondhand rumor of why under Peter Angelos, the team did not meaningfully participate in the whole uh, signing of international amateurs, but principles or not, the fact is that at any given time, usually about a third of the game's top 100 prospects have been signed from this part of the world, usually at the age of 16. So a team that is not down there trying to get those guys is missing out on a lot of potential talent, not just star level talent, but useful role players too. And so rather than spending their allotted pool, the Orioles, especially under Duquette, would trade it away to other teams because that is a thing you're allowed to do uh, for mostly marginal minor league players who you couldn't even really call prospects. One reality of the process, and it's kind of what makes it a little bit scummy, is that although the signing period starts today, 
deals have been worked out verbally or with handshakes as far back as two years ago for some of the top players in the class when these guys were as young as 14 years old, which is honestly kind of crazy, right? But that is what allows team to announce uh, dozens of deals all at once on the first day of the signing period. And since deals are worked out in some cases as early as when the players are 14, that meant that although Mike Elias took over as general manager after the 2018 season, it really wasn't until the signing period that ended up starting in 2021 that the Orioles were able to make pitches for the uh, seven-figure bonus players of the signing classes because they were already promised to other teams before the Orioles went into the area in earnest before they started uh, staffing up, scouting around, you know, finding out who was there, who was available, whatever. This whole process used to kick off on July the 2nd, and players were known as the J2 signing class. The COVID year of 2020 saw that process adjusted to begin on January 15th, 2021. It has stayed there since, so what used to be J2 is now J15. The J is something different. Um... But I think January 15th honestly kind of works better anyway because then players are signed and they can just have a full year to work with their teams rather than they drop in late in the baseball year. Okay, so let's start looking at Alliance's signing classes and who is and is not worth paying attention to uh, for those guys so far. Again, Alliance's first signing period, it opened on July the 2nd, 2019, on that first day, the Orioles announced 27 uh, signings, none of which rated really on anyone's ranking of top prospects in the class, which is because the Orioles under Duquette were not in the Dominican in uh, 2017 and 2018 when those deals were getting locked up. So there really are not any names currently worth a close follow from this group. A couple, if you really, again, want to be kind of a prospect sicko, uh, maybe worth keeping an eye on as 2024 progresses. I, I do think they could be mildly interesting if they have good 2024 results. Those guys are uh, righty pitcher Edgar Portes. Uh, he might be the most notable of the group from 2019 after last year when he struck out 106 batters over 80 and two-thirds innings for low A Delmarva, and that in his age 20 season. Respectable. Another right-handed pitcher, Moises Chase from Venezuela, sent down 100 batters on strikes in 68 innings, but that came along with a whopping 53 walks. So there's a guy who needs to refine the command. Uh, Portes, by comparison, had a strikeout-to-walk rate of 3.03, which is fine. Not amazing, but fine. So if either of these guys develops further from there, okay, maybe like at Aberdeen this year, we can hope. Uh, that would be interesting, but otherwise, the 2019 group, you know, the Orioles, they didn't have a chance to play for the top guys, and right now, it shows. So, after the pandemic, again, the class that would have started on July the 2nd, 2020, was shifted to January 15th, 2021. It was a seismic shift in some ways, because moving the date meant that some players who would not have been eligible until July, 20, uh, July 2nd, 2021, became, six, they, they turned 16 in between... July and the following January. And that meant they had the possibility to sign earlier if there was a team with uncommitted money and they wanted to jump over from uh, one team to another, which it is rumored that this happened with catching prospect Samuel Basayo, who ended up turning 16 on August 13th, 2020. So about a month and a half after the original J2 2020 date, 
Uh, it's rumored he had been lined up with the Yankees, but the Orioles were able to jump in since they could sign him uh, six months sooner. They had the money available to do it. Of course, that's very good fortune, given that Pasayo has now turned into one of the better prospects in the game after a 2023 season where he uh, slugged his way up to double A for a handful of games by the end of the year. The Orioles, in the 2021 January 15th uh, signing class, inked Pasayo to $1.3 million, the biggest bonus they had ever given out to one of these players at that time. There was another seven-figure signing for the Orioles in that class, which was shortstop Michael Hernandez. Uh, Hernandez has yet to have the hit tool click or power develop in uh, two years of action in the Florida Complex League, so not... Not really developing yet. It's early to give up on him, but he's going to have to start becoming something eventually. It is worth remembering, even players signing for seven figures is not any guarantee that they're going to develop. It's just those are the players who are generally regarded as good right when they sign. Many of them do become good. So again, if you're not signing any of them at all, you don't have the chance to get one of the... uh, seven-figure guys who's going to end up being good. But uh, some of them wash out, and it's it's okay because you only have to hit on a few or even one, such as Basayo, to justify a lot of expense down there. Okay. But from the 2021 group, there's one other guy I'm kind of keeping an eye on, and you don't need to do this yourself. Maybe you can rely on me or other uh, Orioles writers and podcasters to keep an eye on him for you. Uh, They signed 17 players on that first day in 2021. And my other one, other than Basayo, is lefty pitcher Davey Cruz, who struck out 103 batters across 97 innings at just his age 19 season for low A Delmarva last year. He's going to need to cut down the walks as he issued a free pass slightly more than every other inning. But that's an interesting beginning. It's not quite as bad with the walks as Chase, who we just discussed from that 2019 group. But, you know, if he's going to really turn into something, he's going to need to find some more command. So hopefully the Orioles are going to be able to start uh, having some guys who were not heralded also turning into interesting prospects. So that brings us to the 2022 J-15 class, where the Orioles set another record signing bonus for them as they inked Dominican outfielder Braylon Tavera to a $1.7 million bonus. Another player in that class who got some early attention from the prospect writers of the world was infielder Leandro Arias. Also from the Dominican, he signed for a $600,000 bonus that year. Uh, The Orioles gave out another several hundred thousand dollar bonus to a slightly older infielder, Cuban infielder Cesar Prieto, who, of course, was traded to St. Louis in the Jack Flaherty deal last year. These three players were among the 24 who the Orioles announced on January 15th, 2022. Tavera and Arias each spent their age uh, age 18 seasons getting their first taste of a U.S.-based minor league playing for the uh, Complex League, the FCL Orioles. Arias, who came with a strong defensive reputation, mustered a 271 average, 370 on base percentage, 414 slugging, over 162 plate appearances that had him see the same number of walks as strikeouts, 20 apiece. So once in every eight plate appearances, he walked, and once in every eight plate appearances, he struck out. Those are pretty good ratios to work with. Again, a long way from the majors. Interesting start. 
Tavera, over about the same amount of time, a bit fewer uh, plate appearances, he batted 262 with a 391 on base percentage, 421 slugging percentage. These two guys presumably going to be ticketed for Delmarva, the first full season affiliate for them to uh, start the 2024 season. I think if their development continues along the lines of what they showed for the FCL Orioles last year, they're going to start having their own hype trains building steam. It's not going to be quite as exciting because they're not as young as Basayo was when he was starting at Delmarva last year. But still, if you have guys starting to break out at age 19 at low A who were international signings, you're doing okay. So hopefully either one one or both of those guys can manage to do that. And that would really be great for the Orioles prospect, uh, you know, pipeline going forward. One year ago today, the Orioles handed out a record signing bonus yet again, as they gave the American born, but Dominican raised shortstop Luis Almeida, a bonus of $2.3 million. Almeida was one of the 27 players the Orioles announced on the day the signing period began last year. He ended up battling a couple of injuries, played just 19 games at the Dominican Summer League level. So uh, for him and really all of them, it's far too soon to say much of anything about any of these guys. But hopefully in another couple years, we will uh, have more to say about Almeida and some of the others from that class. Which brings us to today, January 15th, 2024. The Orioles have a pool available of up to about $7.1 million this time around. That is tied for the largest amount that is available along with five other teams. As I'm recording this on Sunday night, nothing is yet announced. But since the deals are worked out ahead of time, it's generally known among prospect writers, some of whom end up publishing this information. I'm getting my uh, information on the class from... Uh, Fangraphs prospect writer Eric Longenhagen. So it's generally expected that the Orioles will end up signing uh, two players who are roughly in the top 30 prospects for this class, in the 20 to 30 prospect range. That is Dominican shortstop Emilio Sanchez, reportedly set to receive a bonus of just over a million dollars. And outfielder Steven Martinez, that is S-T-I-V-E-N. Perhaps it's pronounced differently. If so, I'm sorry to Martinez. Uh, He's also from the Dominican, and he is set to sign for just under a million dollars. So at Fangraphs, Logan Hagen writes of Sanchez, quote, a well-rounded switch-hitting infielder who can do a little bit of everything. Scouts are divided as to whether he'll grow into meaningful strength and power, making him more of a high-floor utility prospect at this stage, end quote. You can do uh, a lot worse than starting out with that, but I guess the Orioles probably think Sanchez. it's a good enough chance for Sanchez to grow into the power to make him more than a utility prospect, but it might not happen. It's good to take a shot. Again, you um, you can't win if you don't play is basically uh, the anti-the-wire uh, theme on this class. And then that brings us to Martinez. He's currently listed as 6 feet 4 inches, which is pretty big. Um, he is said to have, quote, a huge outfield arm, end quote, Longenhagen also writes that some scouts think Martinez could end up developing what is known as plus-plus raw power, which is basically mega strength. That's that's the guys who are hitting massive bombs a lot in batting practice. And the question is how much of that they can harness when, you know, they're actually hitting professional pitchers who are trying to get them out, especially major league pitchers who are trying to get them out. 
So again, I mean, these guys signing today, mostly all going to be 16 years old. If things go very well for one or more of this year's group, maybe they would be candidates for the Orioles roster in, let's say, 2028, which is to say that under everyone's current contract status on the Orioles, a player signing today could end up being teammates for one year with Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Bradish because Adley Rutschman and anyone who debuted earlier than him will have hit free agency before that. It's going to be another era of the Orioles, hopefully connected with success to the current era of the Orioles. There are going to hopefully be some more players uh, ending up straddling between 2024 and 2028 who come along between now and then. But it's it's going to look different probably than the team we saw win 101 games last year. You know, as fans, all we can do is hope that enough of these players develop along the way to keep the team able to field a quality roster that wins a lot of games most years. And of course, this isn't the only way to get good players. The Orioles will continue to be drafting. Hopefully, they're going to be picking more in uh, the end of the first round and the end of every round. So they're not going to be able to get, uh, count on top, you know, top five picks anymore. We hope that won't come back. Uh, they could sign free agents. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and also they could end up trading some of their prospects for players to supplement the team. Elias has seemed reticent to do that so far. We'll see if he ends up opening up, um, his philosophy on that, uh, as different players become available, as different prospects are on the pile of prospects there for him to deal. Um, you know, I, I don't know. No one knows what the future holds, basically. And uh, really, hopefully, the Orioles can, from whatever avenue, have the uh, the prospect pipeline developed that Mike Elias always talks about building. And today's January 15th signings, let's hope, will end up being in the part of that pipeline. So that's all I've got for today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe on your favorite platform, I will be back every Monday for the rest of the offseason and as soon as possible afterwards if the big sign, uh, pitching trade or signing ever does happen. Remember, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com if you have any question you would like to get on a mailbag for a future episode or if you have any feedback at all about the show. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. This is Mark Brown signing off.